It's after five o'clock. People are off work, picking their kids up from school, and making a quick trip to the store before heading home. Some are just running in for a 10-minute errand to grab milk, a side for dinner, or a bottle of juice. These are the stories that children would share as they mourn the loss of both parents. And those who paused outside to take a phone call would share how profoundly their lives were changed by the collapse of a shopping center's roof. In this tragedy, 51 people did not make it out alive, and another three lost their lives while trying to rescue those trapped inside. This is the heartbreaking story of the Zolitude Shopping Center roof collapse and the bewildering consequences for those held accountable. I'm Tatiana, and this is Occurrence. So let's go back to November 3rd, 2011, in Riga, Latvia. There's a neighborhood named Zolitude that just welcomed the completion of this brand new shopping center. It was considered a masterpiece designed by Zane and Andres Kalinka, a duo from the local architectural firm. Holmberg Volda took charge of development while the Re and Re company brought the building to life. The shopping center even won the Latvian Building of the Year Award, so it was considered a really nice building. Unfortunately, several months before the grand opening, a fire broke out in the complex. Thankfully, no one was injured, and engineers who inspected the building found no structural damage. Since the building was deemed safe, it was cleaned up and opened to the public. Now, inside the shopping center was a Maxima supermarket, a bank, a beauty salon, a currency exchange, a news shop, and a pet shop. It was part of a complex that also included residential apartments and had plans for a green roof, providing a recreational area with cobblestone paths and benches for apartment residents. So construction continued in the green roof, while a new underground parking garage was being added in the basement. During the construction, the shopping center operated business as usual, but there was a little quirk. The fire alarm for the building would occasionally go off without any fire present. Everyone thought it was due to faulty wiring or construction dust, and it became an accepted part of the establishment's routine. Little did they know that this quirk would be an eerie prelude to the tragic events to come. On November 21st, 2013, just before 4.30 p.m., the fire alarm once again blared in the shopping center. The announcement was made to evacuate the store, but security quickly decided that it was a false alarm triggered by welding construction in the basement. They believed there was no immediate danger, and the evacuation was deemed unnecessary. They called a technician to turn it off, but he would not be able to figure out why the alarm went off before things took a turn for the worst. People are shaken, but reassured, so they return to their shopping. The calm atmosphere resumed, and the Maximus supermarket, along with some of the smaller shops, continued their operations. Customers who had considered leaving were encouraged to stay by the calm attitude of Maximus employees. As they entered peak shopping hours, the flow of people in and out of the center gradually returned to normal. But just after 5.30 p.m., something unexpected happened. Without any warning, the roof of the shopping center collapsed. The roof fell over the checkout counters where lines of people were waiting to pay. It crashed over the dairy, alcoholic beverage, and household cleaning sections. The Maxima supermarket immediately lost power, so the main entrance locked and trapped shoppers inside. They had to break the glass windows to escape. Unlike the supermarket, the smaller shops in the retail center had better outcomes. Their roofing was damaged, but it was able to keep from collapsing. 
The smaller shops had more than 50 employees and an unknown number of customers inside. Most of the people in those areas were able to escape before rescuers arrived. Within minutes, firefighters, paramedics, and police officers arrived at this unbelievable scene. The roof collapsed over the supermarket, leaving a giant hole in the center of the building. If you can imagine someone slamming their fist in the middle of a square cake, that's what this building looked like. You see, the Maxima supermarket was the largest building in the complex. It took up most of the real estate. The surrounding sides to the store were standing, but it's like someone just smacked down the center. Because pretty much only the ceiling over Maxima caved in. The perimeter store's roofing staying relatively intact is why the people there were better off than the people in the supermarket. So, determined to save lives, the firefighters divided the building into four working areas since what was left of the structure appeared stable and was standing strong. They went in and rescued as many people as possible, navigating through the rubble to find survivors. Since only firefighters were allowed in the building after the first collapse, ambulances stood by outside of the building, waiting to transport the wounded and rescued to hospitals. The initial rescue gave a glimmer of hope, as almost 20 people were successfully brought to safety from the first collapse. But the danger was far from over. The remaining portions of the roof seemed stable, but just after 7 p.m., with again, no warning, another part of the roof caved in, this time over one of the work areas. Since several firefighters were trapped beneath the debris, desperation took over as their fellow first responders were desperate to rescue them. But in the end, the second collapse claimed the lives of three firefighters and left 12 others injured. Following the second collapse, only five firefighters were allowed to enter the building at a time and were limited to only working 30-minute intervals. The rest were forced to wait outside because of the risk of another cave-in. A few hours later, bulldozers and cranes arrived to assist in clearing the wreckage. The bulldozers moved tons of rubble while the cranes lifted concrete slabs. And recognizing the efforts of the first responders, over 100 Latvian army soldiers arrived to offer their support. They established a base camp with tents to provide refuge for the first responders. The magnitude of the disaster caused other countries to offer assistance, but Latvia declined. They were confident in their own resources and expertise and tried a variety of methods to search for survivors. They listened for signs of life using silent periods, but all they heard were cell phones ringing unanswered. Thermal scanners were used, but not effective against the concrete rubble, and search and rescue dogs struggled to navigate the overwhelming scent of spilled alcohol chemicals and alcohol. Then, during the early hours of November 23rd, a fireman sustained injuries while clearing the debris. And just before 6 p.m. that same day, a third collapse happened. Luckily, no rescuers were hurt, but the integrity of the roof was beyond repair. So rescue efforts ended an hour later. The severity of injuries the remains of the latest victims had left them with no hope for any more survivors. And in the end, there were no more victims found in the rubble. The roof collapse claimed 54 lives and left 41 people injured. Among the victims, 53 were citizens of Latvia, while one was a citizen of Armenia. The Latvian president declared three days of mourning, extending heartfelt condolences to Armenia and honoring the memory of the victims. And during this period, the nation united in grief, refraining from public events and replacing TV ads with a video tribute to the victims. Almost immediately, the mayor of Riga ordered an inspection of all building projects conducted by Rienri, 
the company behind the shopping center. And while the tragedy spared the apartment buildings within the complex, the developers placed their construction on hold. While they were investigating the cause of the collapse, a separate criminal investigation began, which ended up verifying the findings of the state labor inspector. The inspector found work safety violations within Maxima, exposing potential factors that contributed to the disaster. But I'll revisit that later. So the police had three theories. The first was that there was an error in the structural design of the building, and those overseeing the planning had been negligent. The second was that the cause was related to initial building procedures. And the third theory was that the collapse was caused by the construction of the green roof. They performed investigative experiments that basically revealed the roof was originally built improperly. The collapse was not caused by a sudden change, but by metal fatigue from overloading the structure over time. When they tested the supports, they started deforming way before the target weight was reached and always ended up breaking. They also tested to see if the original fire prior to opening had some kind of involvement, but they did not release that information. At one point, a man was fined for signature forgery on documents related to construction projects. The person fined was the owner of a liquidated company. The company was a subcontractor hired by Vicom Industry, the manufacturer of the constructions. They alleged that the company forged the documents using the name of a certified engineer that they previously offered a job, instead of actually hiring one, and that the engineer they used, they never actually paid for his previous work with them. So the prosecutor general comes out and says there would be more suspects. The way the building was designed meant it was going to collapse, but there were other factors that contributed and resulted in death. There were unrelated violations that showed a general tendency to disregard regulations. Essentially, everyone who had been neglectful contributed to the accident, and he wanted them held responsible. And in January of 2015, the first suspects emerged, including construction engineer Ivar Sergets, design expert Andriy Skulbis, and architect Andriy Kalinka. The authorities froze the assets of H&D, a company owned by Sergets, and Cubs, owned by the Kalinkas. While the suspicions against Kalinka weren't revealed, they targeted Sergets for errors in the building's roof construction design, and Gulbis for potential negligence in inspecting and approving the design. So the investigation continued, and of course, desperate to clear their names, the accused conducted their own investigations, trying to shift blame or expose conflicting details. Reports by Rienri said a critical design error was the cause of the collapse. They had independent engineers review the project documentation, and it confirmed that poor load-carrying capacity of the building, which was only a third of the required strength, miscalculations of the max weight the roof could hold, along with design flaws and the structural connections, were the main reasons leading to the collapse. But conflicting narratives came out during the investigations. Ivar Sergets, who, remember, was the owner of H&D and responsible for building the complex, said that material overload placed on the roof caused the collapse. He completely dismissed the idea that the green roof was the cause, because the store had withstood two winters where snow-induced stress exceeded the weight from the garden. Instead, he admitted to using trusses made of two pieces bolted together, instead of following the original single-truss support system in the design. Apparently, transporting longer trusses had too many challenges. So the blame game is still ongoing, and representatives of Cubs now place blame on Vicom Industry, who supplied the metal joints used to connect the trusses. 
They said Vikram held sole responsibility for the components and calculations. But Vikram defended itself, saying that all metal components were followed strictly to the design. So the focus shifted to Eurobolts, who was the supplier of those bolts, since Vikram was basically saying that they weren't strong enough. Eurobolt said the company had no information on what the bolts they sell are used for, but the bolts Vikram was interested in were not strong enough for joining trusses for the roof, and they never bought bolts that would be strong enough for that purpose. As accusations flew, a structural engineer from a Finnish company jumped in, publishing research based on site photographs. The engineer pointed blame at practically everyone but Vikram, and eventually questions surrounding the engineer's competence, credibility, and potential connections to Vikram industry raised doubts about the credibility of the findings. Now, public outrage was at an all-time high as reports of unethical work conditions and product quality issues within Maxima came out. Workers described an extremely unstable work environment within the building. According to Maxima staff, the building had been extremely unstable for a year. The construction workers told them that the foundation was cracked and needed reinforcement. They had to deal with the storage room and workers' locker room completely flooding. Extra support columns were placed under the ceiling of the storage room, but were later removed. The fire alarm sounded frequently, and they believed it was because the alarm was faulty and couldn't tell smoke from dust. Workers also said they received insufficient safety instructions, that fire escape doors were blocked, and they couldn't leave work without permission, not even to use the restroom, because if they did, their pay was docked. Apparently, the store would only open a few checkout lanes to save money which created long lines and made employees work long hours for minimum wage. Maxima also intimidated workers to keep them from reporting things to authorities, talking to media, or joining a union. The company was accused of lying for initially denying owning the building and saying that their safety instructions, which only required evacuation when there was obvious danger, had been approved by the State Fire and Rescue Service. So in response to all of this, the Latvian parliament established a Zolitude Investigative Committee in November 2014. They would look into the actions of the Latvian state in evaluating the causes of the tragedy and government efforts to prevent similar incidents. The committee investigated for 12 months, and in October of 2015, they officially named several people as morally and politically responsible for the tragedy. This included former Prime Minister Valdis Dombrovskis, who had resigned earlier, and some people felt he was made to be a political scapegoat. The mayor of Riga and the head of the Riga Construction Board. They were tried, and in February 2020, verdicts were announced. Eight of the nine defendants were acquitted. The building's civil engineer, Ivar Sergets, was sentenced to six years in prison for errors made in the structural calculations, which directly led to the collapse. I've heard that a lot of Latvians compared the feelings of this disaster to how Americans feel about 9-11, in the sense that if you ask them what they were doing when they first heard of the collapse, they would remember. Considering that, I'm not sure how the justice system works there, but one person doing six years in prison doesn't add up to me. And I'm not alone. The feeling of justice was elusive. Many in the community, especially those directly affected, felt the lack of holding people responsible. They believed that a single individual being held accountable barely scratched the surface, with the true culprits getting off scot-free. Maxima ended up paying reparations to the victims and their families, and a permanent memorial is planned to be added onto the temporary one at the site of the tragedy.
to honor the lives lost and those affected by the collapse. The Zolitude Shopping Center collapse is a reminder of the consequences of negligence and disregard for safety. But in my opinion, I feel like they barely scratched the surface of investigating all that corruption. And I guess their president actually wanted more to happen because he said that the collapse was a, quote, murder of defenseless people, end quote. And he wanted the perpetrators arrested. He wanted an investigation from independent experts from other countries not associated with Latvian builders in any way and felt the entire political system needed to change because it allowed individuals to escape responsibility. He was obviously upset, so I'm not sure what happened with the independent investigators, but shortly after that statement is when the prime minister resigned, which is why people felt like he was a scapegoat or forced out. So what do you think? You know I have to hear your thoughts on all of this, because I am speechless that after corruption, forgery, everything... Only one person got six years. Leave a comment for me to read, and don't forget to like and follow for more stories like this. All sources can be found at the website linked in the show notes. Be safe, and I'll see you next time.